Previously on the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. We interviewed David Icke. We talked about cases of actual false flags. We reviewed academic articles on conspiracy theory theory. We probably paid too much attention to Uncle Sam's snuff factory. And we tried to surprise each other with little known conspiracy theories. And now on the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Uh, so, um, anything happen over the break? I mean, I, I, I watched some films, read a few comic books, um, I listened to a few podcasts. Oh, that reminds me, no new season of the Lovecraft Investigations last year. In fact, I, ch- I checked the BBC website. Apparently there's not going to be a season four. We should definitely devote the first episode of 2022 to that. Hmm. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, the first episode for 2022. Momentous, I suppose. I, of course, am Josh Edison, sweltering slightly here in Auckland, New Zealand. They, of course, are Associate Professor M. Dentith sweltering for us for all i know in zhuhai china and you know i assume you just swelter there general generally just all the time you know what's on my mind a little tune georgia happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear whatever your name is happy birthday to you that is correct why it, was it, he it, born so beautiful why was he born at all he's nobody used to anyone he's nobody used at all england england football chant has started i have no how this ends yes yeah, so so what what is it like to be nine thousand years old oh it's not bad it'll do Sorry, I'm still just a little bit distracted because you you use the phrase on my mind, which immediately brings the song Georgia on my mind by Ray Charles uh, into my head and it unspools in its entirety and I really can't control it. So I'm just going to, if you see me going misty eyed, I've just got up to the bit about other arms reach out to me, other eyes smile peacefully. So on and so forth. Surely I'm the person who should have Georgia on their mind. Well, are, are you Ray Charles? Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, there we go. Mm. No, it is it's 2022, um, as is the style of the time I've aged another year, yesterday, as it happens at time of recording. Um, we've done the, the, the whole Christmas, New Year, although I suppose for you, I mean, what's, what's Christmas and New Year like in a country that doesn't really celebrate Christmas and celebrates New Year at a different time? So Christmas is very commercialised and that you really only can tell it's Christmas when you say go to a cafe or a bar and they've put up a Christmas tree sometimes with snow, sometimes without, or you go to the supermarket and you realise that playing in the background are Western Christmas songs. And then you go, I don't miss this at all. I don't miss this at all. As I'm sure I've mentioned in the past, I worked, I think, four Christmases at a department store. And yeah, no, I, I, I get fairly severe flashbacks on hearing store music Christmas carols. Bloody the, the the Paul McCartney one, that wonderful Christmas time. God, I hate it so much, so much. I mean, there's a lot to despise about Paul McCartney. That mm. Christmas song, that frog chorus song, almost the entirety of the Beatles. I mean, really. That man has done so much ill to this world. I'm surprised that it's Tony Blair that people talk about as being England's premier war criminal. Mm. 
Although he he did look quite fetching in that Peter Jackson documentary recently when he was all young and hairy. So I mean, there is that great bit where the police storm the roof and you can see Paul McCartney look over to the corner, look at John Lennon and then go, woohoo, as he bursts into another song. So actually for that rationale, mm. I'll now take back Tony Blair is in fact the worst person in the UK. Good. Um, anyway, we're not actually here to rank the UK's uh, worst people. Although we could. We, could, we really could. We we. We do actually have other plans. We're just gonna we're gonna ease into the year with a, a nice, simple, easy topic that will allow us to basically ramble on about whatever we feel like. I think, um, in stark contrast to our usual episodes. Yes, where we're very businesslike normally, very businesslike mm. indeed. You don't get this kind of verification in a normal episode of the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy. By this time, we're already knees deep in content and definitely not riffing on whatever takes our fancy until such time no. we go it's been five minutes we should probably talk about conspiracy theories maybe we should get back to yeah yep yep okay but anyway i suppose i suppose though we should at least stick to tradition and play a little chime or a sting or something now before we get into the main main bit of the episode it seems appropriate it's true appeals to tradition are never fallacious <laughs> So yes, uh, as as suggested in the intro at the top there, we want to talk about the Lovecraft investigations. Now, my, we we have talked about it before on this podcast, but mostly in the patron bonus episodes, I think, except of course for episode two hundred and fifty, which we devoted entirely to the second Lovecraft investigation serial, The Whisperer in Darkness, um, where we basically talked about it as though it were actually a real uh, uh, true crime podcast and neither of us had ever heard of H.P. Lovecraft, which is uh, not actually true. Inconceivable, to quote H.P. Lovecraft's famous film, The Princess Bride. Mm, exactly. Now, uh, just to get it out of the way at the beginning... H.P. Lovecraft, horrible racist. Yep. Even even by the standards of the time, I think we'll just we'll just take take that as read, um, because otherwise we'll feel yeah. obliged yeah. to mention I mean, it. If you want uh, to know lot. just how much a racist H.P. Lovecraft was, look up the name of his cat, and don't just look up the name of his cat. Look up the reactions of his contemporaries to the name of his cat, because even his contemporaries are going. Dude. Dude. Now, I should also point out, there's been a kind of rehabilitation, not of H.P. Lovecraft in the last few years, but of the Cthulhu mythos that Lovecraft created. So H.P. Lovecraft, terrible human being, and an awful lot of the Cthulhu mythos that H.P. Lovecraft generated actually does rely on fear of the other. So there are numerous stories in the Cthulhu mythos canon where basically the enemy is a person of colour. But there has been recent work by people who like the idea of cosmic horror to try and take the Lovecraft out of the Lovecraftian mythos and focus on the fear of the cosmic other and remove the racism from those stories. And so the Lovecraft investigations is in that particular vein. They're doing Lovecraftian stories, so they're looking at the Cthulhu mythos, but they're not engaging in the inherent or essential racism that Lovecraft thought was kind of part and parcel of that kind of fiction. Mm. So, if you haven't listened to them, uh, the Lovecraft investigation they weren't called the Lovecraft Investigations to begin with, of course. That was sort of a label that I think didn't come around until the third 
serial. Um, but it, start, it started as the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which if you know about Lovecraft, you'll recognise as the title of one of his stories. And it followed um, a, a, a fictional podcast called The Mystery Machine, um, with a couple of fictional investigators called Matthew Haywood and Kennedy Fisher, um, and they were sort of a true crime, a, a fake. It was a podcast about a fake true crime podcast investigating the the mysterious disappearance of this Charles Dexter Ward fellow, and then getting drawn into a story that was based on the actual Lovecraftian one. And um, fortunately for us, being um, uh, aficionados of Lovecraft's work, but also people who have a podcast about conspiracy theories. Um, a large part of their adaptation was to bring in a big sort of overarching conspiracy and where the case of Charles Dexter Ward is basically about sort of a guy who um, resurrects a, a, a wizard from several years ago, from several centuries ago, who he was related to and, and wackiness ensues. Um, they sort of broaden the whole thing into the idea that there's this whole cult that the wizard was part of, uh, who, who worship a Mesopotamian deity called Ipku Aya, and um, they sort of so they, they they bring all this element into it, and then as they did uh, the, the 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 series that came along after that, where they adapted other Lovecraft stories, they all which weren't uh, originally related, but they all sort of tied them together, kind of using this conspiracy as a as a bit of a framing device. And I think I think it worked pretty well, don't you? Yes, I mean I think the first series was possibly the better of the three in that the first series is very much trying to be a very plausible true crime podcast. By the time the second series ends, there's a conspiracy involving the British government, and you end up going, how are they letting this podcast be broadcast on the BBC if they're exposing governmental plans to cover up ancient elder gods? So by season two the true crime format didn't really work. But as an adaptation of Lovecraftian stuff for the modern day, it was remarkably well done, even if too many episodes ended with Kennedy Fisher screaming. Yes, yes, there was a quite a lot of sort of cliffhangers of her suddenly encountering something horrible and screaming, and then that, that was the end of it, and then it comes back later, and stuff like that. And also, especially the... um. The latter two episodes, uh, the Whisperer in Dark, the second one is the Whisperer in Darkness, which, if you haven't read it, is sort of about a, the original story is about a guy um, who ends up encountering these sort of cosmic space beings that have um, uh, that, that, that remove people's brains and stick them in jars and then wear their faces to deceive people. And the the, the punchline of the whole story is the guy. Um, escaping in the middle of the night and on his way out notices the face and hands of the guy he thought he was talking to lying to inside and realising that all along he'd been speaking to one of these creatures wearing someone else's face. Um, and they talk about that, but then they bring in um, the Rendlesham incident, uh, uh, England's Area 51. Um, they talk about numbers stations. They talk about all sorts of other stuff. And so by the end of that one, it does get quite confused and metaphysical and does kind of end on a lot of just sort of garbled shouting and jumbling and random noises and not quite knowing what what the hell is happening and then finishing up with a conclusion where they say we're not really sure what happened but here we are as were the listeners mm, mm. and so then then the third one was the shadow over in's mouth uh the famous story of the the guy who comes to a town to find out it's full of fish people 
uh, which had that wonderful, the wonderful uh, musical adaptation by the H.P. Lovecraft. What are they? Recreation Society, whatever they call. Yeah, some something like that. The H.P. Lovecraft. Where they made it a Society. musical with the, which included the song. It's beginning to look a lot like fish men. Um, and yes, so so then the Shadow of Rinsmith, and they, that's when they actually start bringing in just all sorts of crap. They they the the cats, the Ulthar cats, get in there a bit at one point, don't they? And they all all in some some giant conspiracy and waking up the uh, the, the the dreaming elder gods and so on and so forth. And I'm pretty sure in the end, some sort of magical portal opens up. Matthew Haywood gets sucked into it, trying to save Kennedy Fisher. And then it sort of ends with Kennedy saying, I need to go and find Matthew Haywood. But again, a large part of that driven by a confusing jumble of noise that, that, that deliberately obfuscated what was going on. And the other thing to note is that by this particular point in time in the storylines, the concept of Pleasant Green becomes kind of preeminent. Mm. And it turns out that the writer of the Lovecraft investigations had had a previous trilogy of short stories on the BBC about the inhabitants of this place called Pleasant Green. So effectively, there was a connection between a self-created mythos and the Lovecraftian mythos, which kind of took over the narrative drive of at least the mm. last series of the Lovecraft investigations. So it ended on, it, it sort of had a had an open-ended. You know, there, there was room for a sequel. There was room for it to continue, but from the sounds of things, it's not going to. But um. That then gives us license to speculate on where possibly it could have gone. And we get to spend the rest of this episode talking about Lovecrafty stuff and basically making shit up. Indeed. Which is the way we like it. So, I mean, I, 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 think, I think we both agree it would sort of, if it were to continue, it would sort of have to follow Kennedy Fisher hunting down leads and encountering weird stuff in his search for Matthew Haywood. Um which, as they did for the for the previous three ones, would give the writers license to just drag in whatever the hell else they wanted. Um, personally, I think my favourite Lovecraft story is probably The Colour Out of Space, a couple of, which a couple of years ago was made into a movie with Nicolas Cage. Um, I think the movie was actually superior because it had the advantage of uh, having been made after the movie The Thing existed, um, and also had Nicolas Cage just Nicolas Caging out all over the place. And llamas. And, and uh, you may not be aware of this, and, and, and uh, Nicolas Cage didn't actually exist um, in the time of H.P. Lovecraft. Easy for us to forget in this day and age. It's true. I mean, he really is at the Mountains of Madness. Mm. So, I mean, you, you, could, you, could, you could imagine all sorts of different ways that... Um, the story could be brought in there, the, the colour out of space. Again, if you're not familiar with that, is about a, a mysterious meteorite that lands on a, on a man's farm and starts poisoning the land all around it, and then eventually the, uh, the um, plant life and then the animal life and then the people as well, and it all gets horrible and weird and cosmic. But um, given that the earlier ones had already got into the idea of UFOs and stuff like that, which also got mixed up with weird... Alistair Crowley sort of magic and all sorts of stuff. Um, you could very easily talk about uh, the mysterious meteorite and and investigations around that and all sorts of wackiness. With you could you could easily imagine a way to bring this in, especially since they'd already talked about uh, UFOs and and stuff from space. Although I think the Rendlesham incident stuff they ended up 
having more to do with a magical Alistair Crowley sort of ritual or something. To bring in Ipcuire. I'm sure sure you could bring in uh, a weird meteorite that has bizarre effects on the land around it as either some sort of uh, uh, emissary of Ipcuire from the cosmos or just something that these covert um, Department of Works government places would have to cover up and so on and so on and so forth. And if they were lucky, they could they could bring in like llamas and and Nicolas Cage swearing like a maniac as he punches the roof of his car for no really good reason other than it's Nicolas Cage. And apparently, according to the director of the Color Out of Space, whose name has completely escaped me, even though I sh- Richard there we Stanley, go, Richard Stanley, who has a incredibly fascinating career. Richard Stanley said that when they were filming The Colour Out of Space, Nicolas Cage could replicate that kind of unhinged Nicolas Cage performance every single time they reshot a scene. So people kind of assume that Nicolas Cage is just one of these weird actors who you you say, run, and he suddenly just starts doing any old thing. But apparently it is very considered and very measured madness. As if you want him to do the same the same take again from a different a- angle, he can replicate every single verbal tick and car punch that you require. Mm. Nicholas Cage is quite a man, I think it's fair to Have say. Have you seen Pig? We're, we're, no. Now, I understand. I, Pig, Pig was sort of marketed a little bit as, oh, Nicholas Cage does Taken, sort of another in the series of 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 middle-aged man doing action but i understand that's not really true and it's more just sort of a a meditation on loss and food and pigs I mean, so there is a modicum of violence in pig but it is yeah it is much more the story of a man his relationship with his truffle hunting pig and the fact that he just wants to go back to the thing he loves the most, which is feeding his pig fried truffles. Mm. Anyway, we, we, we've given ourselves license to go completely off topic, but that might be a bit far off topic. We, to, to go back, where would you see the Lovecraft investigations going Well, then? I'll tell you where I wouldn't take it, and that would be with my favourite story, The Mountains of Madness, in part because even though I think The Mountains of Madness is Lovecraft's greatest work... I also think it's basically unfilmable or is never going to make for particularly gripping audio. In fact, it actually shouldn't work as a story at all. So The Mountains of Madness Mm. is basically a travelogue between two scientists in the Arctic who discover the remains of an ancient city belonging to a race called the Elder Beings or the Elder Things, and they're going through the city reading the various cartouches on the wall which give you the history of this particular race with the way that they came to power and prominence and then due to genetic manipulation of entities upon the earth caused their own downfall. The story ends with them getting to what is meant to be the last holdout of the elder things towards the core of the earth, hearing the vicious screams of the creatures the elder things created which destroyed their civilization and then fleeing the scene. So essentially, it's a story about two men reading carvings and having conversations with one another, which is why, even though I've always thought it was an admirable goal that people like Galmoro del Toro wanted to make a movie based upon the Mountains of Madness, I actually never thought it was ever going to work, because there is no story other than, I say, old chap, 
What do you think this cartouche says? Well, I think this cartouche tells us about the third epoch of the outer things upon the earth. Hmm, that is interesting. What about this cartouche over here? Oh, well, that's the fourth epoch. So it would be great to have, say, a mention in a hypothetical fourth series of Lovecraft Investigations where they hear about how, say, the Department of Works or one of the organizations opposed towards the Department of Works has been excavating the remains of an ancient city somewhere down in the Arctic. But it's not actually, so from memory, it's actually it's, it's the Antarctic where the elder city is, isn't it? So it's the South Pole, yeah, not the North yeah, Pole. Yeah, it's the Antarctic, yeah. yeah. So the idea that they've found the remains of the city and part of the cover-up is working out exactly what's going on there. But it certainly isn't something which you could base an entire storyline upon, but it would be a nice reference. So I would definitely bring in a reference to the Mountains of Madness there. But I certainly wouldn't make it the central pivot of my story. Mm. Have you have you read the script of the Del Toro? No, I have not. Uh, proposed one. There's um, actually let's let let's while we are a podcast talking about another podcast, let's just briefly plug another podcast. There's a podcast called The Best Films Never Made, where a couple of Hollywood insiders, one of them, did that uh, Jodorowsky's Do Dune documentary and the other guy most recently wrote the sonic the hedgehog movie um and they, they they've had this podcast of um basically movies that never got made uh, so depending on who they're talking to it can turn into a uh, just sort of a inside hollywood sort of thing as these uh, these filmmakers talk about their careers and the funny things that have happened to them but they do go and one of the things they they have talked about was Guillermo del Toro's The Mountains of Madness. And they sort of read it. It sounds awesome, but also like it would never work. He he brings into a lot of actually much like the Color Out of Space movie does. He, he gets a lot of the thing into there as the members of the expedition sort of get infected by these creatures and, and turn Shagoths. into various monstrosities themselves. And... Um, it's, it was a little bit confused because there there are about four different storylines happening. They also there's this mysterious person who's possibly the Nihilathotep, this other Lovecraftian entity who's in there for no obvious reason other than that he's there. Um, they bring Cthulhu into it at the end of it, presumably because the studio said no, it's Lovecraft. There has to be Cthulhu there. So at the, whereas at the end of the story, uh, one of the people. As, the, as they're flying out of there in an aeroplane, sort of looks back at the city and is driven mad by something he sees, um, whereas in this film it's quite explicitly Cthulhu popping up that makes the guy go crazy. And actually that suddenly reminds me, it's, it's quite, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. So, historical say, have society. you seen their go. adaptation of The Call of Cthulhu? Yeah, the black yeah. and white one. Yeah. But, uh, the, yes. Yeah, that was very well done, I thought. It was... Um, Made, uh, made in the style of the time when the story would have been written. Yes, so yes, so, so they they've made yeah. a nineteen thirties style silent film, and they've filmed it in the way things would have been filmed in the nineteen thirties, including the style of effects that you would have found in the nineteen thirties, mm. which was kind of the downside of the adaptation of The Whisper in Darkness, in yeah. that. It looked the part of a black and white film, but they also used CGI to do some of the effects, and it really didn't work. No, no. I mean, obviously, to actually, the practical effects required for these these alien space beings 
would have been too hard for an amateur production. CGI is easier, but it was very obviously CGI in what was meant to be an old-style black-and-white film. But, um, yeah, no, I, I kind of agree. Mountains of Madness is kind of one of the classics, but it wouldn't really lend itself to a podcast about well, that at least started off as a, a true crime series investigating these weird local happenings. Unless, unless it's um, a truly, truly cold case, because we have to find out who murdered mm. these elder things. Yes, I don't don't quite think that would work. It was, no. the, it was yeah, the giant penguins, could... Josh. It was the gi- <laughs> no one ever talks about the giant penguins in H.P. Lovecraft. No, but that's true. There are giant penguins in H.P. Lovecraft. But yeah, I I don't know. My 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 other favourite one, and again, one that Sydney couldn't build a whole episode around, because it's so short, basically is The Tree on the Hill, um, which is which is a very short story, a very short, short story um, about a guy who goes wandering in the in the local mountains and things go a little bit weird and he's he's suddenly not sure where he is and goes to sleep under a strange looking tree, has bizarre dreams of a of an alien environment, um, then <clears throat> wakes up miles away, all 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 ragged and torn, as though he'd been sort of running and scrambling and crawling to get away from where it was that he'd been. Uh, takes some photographs he had shown to his friend, who sort of who just so happens to be an expert in sort of ancient religions, and also has access to this mysterious crystal that's just been. Um, excavated somewhere and also happens to know that it just so happens to be the the right sort of celestial conjunction for stuff to happen and basically sort of investigates these photographs and realizes that it's it was some weird incursion of strange stuff and that the photograph in, in, in the photographs when examined correctly the weird tree is actually a giant hand reaching out of the earth and it's all just a little bit spooky and eerie but again something that you could bring reference to I'm sure they could very easily have this be one of the weird things that people encounter um, but not something you could base a whole episode around well I I would probably try to conclude the series with a fourth serial based upon HP Lovecraft's dream cycle now this is an interesting choice on my perspective because actually I think the dream cycle stuff in HP Lovecraft is some of his weakest work but there's an awful lot of it, and it's unified by this notion of this character called Randolph Carter, who is a kind of expert dreamer in the world of the Cthulhu mythos. And the story of the dream quest of Unknown Kadath is basically a case where Randolph Carter has this very elaborate dream in which he goes to a city, he has a variety of different adventures, eventually he meets Na. Nalahotep, which is one of the major recurring characters in the Lovecraft investigations. Nalahotep tricks Carter into thinking he's going to be released back into the real world, but actually takes him to the court of Azathoth, who's another major character in the Lovecraft investigations, where he's going to be trapped for all time. And then Carter at the very last minute realizes that if he's in a dream, he can escape this prison simply by waking up. So I say, to conclude the Lovecraft investigations in a fourth serial, you would do something on the lines of this. So you have Matthew Haywood, who's now been abstracted from the world into Pleasant Green, which in my version of the story is going to be another name for the city of Kadath. 
And he ends up being in psychic communication with Kennedy Fisher. They've already established that Kennedy Fisher has powers of some kind in the first three serials. They end up having a kind of dual investigation. So he's broadcasting what he's seeing in Pleasant Green slash Kadath to Kennedy, who is investigating a way of bringing him back from the dream world into the real world. Eventually, he is tricked by Nalahotep slash Ipkuaya into thinking he's about to go free, but is actually brought towards the the slumbering Azathoth and his presence will wake Athosoth from the dream, which will then wake Athosoth. Sorry, will wake Athosoth from the dream. When Athosoth wakes from the dream, the world ends, as was told in the first, sorry, the second and third Lovecraft investigations serial. And then Kennedy realizes that she's experiencing all of this in a dream herself. So if she can wake from that dream then Hayward, Nullahotep, and Athosoth will be trapped for all time inside that dream, as long as she never dreams that dream again. So she wakes from that dream, and then she gets members of the Department of Works to basically erase her character and make her anew, which was something that was heavily suggested at the end of Serial 3, that one of the recurring characters was in fact a former Department of Works agent, who had basically been reprogrammed and didn't remember who she was. So Kennedy basically ends up being... Her personality is erased, so she will never dream the dream to allow Hayward to wake Athosoth up. And then I would also, in some kind of coda, because they were really, really keen from season two onwards to having Mm. coda episodes, have an episode that basically suggests that everything post-season one was never actually broadcast. In fact, it's just been, they were recording these things, they thought they were releasing them to the public, but the Department of Works was just ensuring they were put into the archives because, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, by season two's end, it doesn't make any sense that any of the stuff is going public without there being huge consequences. Mm. Yes, exactly. And uh, I think while... It, w- it, w- it would be a challenge to make it that story make sense as a podcast because if this is all happening psychically and in dreams, how, the how would working? it ever be recorded? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, by this point, we're, we're kind of beyond the, 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 the conceit that it's actually a podcast being recorded for real. And, I mean, I suppose you could say the Department of Works could have all sorts of magical dream recording equipment or, well, no, actually, so the, or you could get some the, sort of psychic well, projection. The other way in, so that phenomena of where people take recordings and they look for voices in amongst the noise, which there is a an actual name for mm. this phenomena, and it's just completely escaped me. So the idea would be that all of Haywood's communications would be kind of cleaned up versions of the supposed ghost noises. So they take these recordings, they clean them up, so you put a filter over his voice, and then you kind of get mm. the impression that they've they've done a lot of work to drag his voice out of the static and noise of the recordings they make when Kennedy dreams. Yeah, actually, one of the good things that the, the podcast format did allow for was some sort of spooky moments where they're recording themselves out in the field and then the microphones pick up something spooky which they themselves don't hear 
and so then aren't aware of until they they go and listen to the recording back afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it could work. It could definitely work. Um, BBC, if you're listening, we'll we'll write the series for you, probably. I don't no, know. As long, I, I mean, as long as they give us before, some I'm money, sure and also we don't step on the mm. toes of the actual creator. Well, exactly. And we can somehow yes, get yes. the actors back. And we can work out how to do mm. remote recording because, I mean, we can barely do remote recording at the moment for two people yes. on a podcast. Imagine trying to do mm. it for an entire crew. Mm. Now, of course, the other thing about the Lovecraft Investigations is that it has a lot of fun bringing in um, other things, not just uh, Lovecraft-related. So as I said before, they um, talked about the Rendlesham incident quite a bit in The Whisperer in Darkness, and we in, that, that's we, we talked about the Rendlesham incident specifically so that we could then talk about the Whisperer in Darkness podcast. Um, they talked about number stations, which we talked about a long time ago. They talked about the Summerton Man case, which I don't know that we've ever covered. That's the one of the guy whose body was found in Australia with no distinguishing sort of... Um, labels or marks or anything and just this weird scrap of paper with a, a Hebrew phrase I think Tamam should on it and it was all he appeared to be some sort of a spy but nobody quite knew what the hell he was doing or how he got there and anything like that they brought him and in. they're still trying to solve so, um, this case today so there was a hmm. yep, no, I think the, the podcast sure. Futility Closet had a few updates on that because they they would like to be able to work out who this person is and they thought that maybe if they disinterred his body, they could do genetic testing. But it turns out the way they had preserved the body basically had denatured the DNA. And so the kind of genetic forensics that people use now in genetic genealogy just wasn't going to work. So it still remains a mystery as to who this person was who turned up in a beach in Australia wearing a suit, presumably from overseas. And people are going... We don't know where he came from, and we don't know where he was going, but we just know he died. Mm. Mm. Most mysteriously. Yeah, so there's plenty of scope for other stuff like that. More, I mean, there's there's no shortage of, of other UFO material if they wanted to go back into that well. I mean, I would bring um, in Terence McKenna, the famous British psychogeographer and advocate of hallucinogenics, who had this really interesting view about mushrooms. So he didn't trust mushrooms as in psychedelic mushrooms because the mushrooms told him they came from outer space, but he knew the mushrooms were lying. I would link Terence McKenna and his interesting view on mushrooms to the Lovecraftian poem The Fungi from Yugoth. Mm. And um, also I, I think you could get a lot of MK Ultra in there as well, um... With the with its with its mind manipulation and government conspiracies, it's very sort of could be either the sort of thing the Department of Works gets up to, or the kind of thing they um, or the American version of the Department of Works. Mm. And then now you've seen the Banshee chapter, haven't you? Great film, great great film. Yes, which is which links MK. Apparently, I didn't realize until recently the guy basically wrote it as an adaptation of Lovecraft's From Beyond. And ties ties uh, MK Ultra into the whole sort of from beyond seeing into alternate uh, parallel universes or parallel realities or something. So there's again plenty of plenty of scope for doing the same sort of thing in this. But um, but most likely most likely it is not to be. 
and all we can do is imagine to ourselves which we have been doing for the past sort of half an hour, 40 minutes or so. And I don't know that there's much more to say. But is there much more to say? Well, the only thing is in your notes that we need to find an excuse to bring Herbert West into all of this. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, the the reanimator story is perhaps not Lovecraft's finest work, but frankly, they were made into some movies with um, what's his name, Jeffrey Combs, uh, that are just fabulous. And I really think the, there needs to be some sort of connection there somehow. I actually like so years ago there was discussion about the original proposed third uh, H. Now I'm getting Herbert West reanimated. Okay, H.P. Lovecraft reanimated. That would be a completely mm. different experience. The third Herbert West film, so the third reanimator film, and the original premise was he was going to be the physician to the White House, because as the director pointed out, when Kissinger reappeared for the W. Bush presidency, an awful lot of people went. I thought he was dead. So he's going to riff on the idea that all of these public servants that everyone assumed had died suddenly reappear in a White House administration. And they're all acting just every so slightly skew-if. And it turns out that the person in charge of keeping them healthy is one Herbert West. Mm. But instead they made no, a really bad third reanimator film in a prison was that the one yeah. in the prison yeah no I, I think i fast forwarded a lot of that one but anyway i think i th I, th I think that's enough i think that'll do for our first episode of um 2022 we've kind of taken it easy we've picked a nice soft topic that we can just rabbit on about things that we things that we are interested in and would have liked to have talked about anyway um and, and that's what we did, and that's what we've done, and now we are done. And I think that's all there is to it. That is indeed all there is to say. Mm. Or is it? Because, of course, we then have to, once we've finished recording this episode, go and record a bonus episode for our beloved patrons, um, which we're going to do a little bit more current eventsy, I think, as we often make the, podcast, uh, the patron bonus episodes. So there's, there has been, uh, contrary to what we suggested uh, back in the intro at the start of this episode, some stuff has happened while we've been on our little uh, summer break. Um, there's the Ghislaine Maxwell stuff happened, COVID anti-vax stuff happened, bit of local stuff here with um, local MP getting up to, to wackiness. That, that Novak Djokovic fellow, he's been up to all sorts. Um, and and also, we can't get past the fact that for the past several patron bonus episodes now, we've been talking about what we think is going to happen in the new Matrix film. And uh, now, after the gap, we've both seen the new Matrix film, so I think we're going to have to talk about the new Matrix film. That may end up taking up the bulk of the, the patron bonus episode. We, we, I, I make no guarantees. And here's a hint as what it's going to be. Josh is going to like half the film that I wasn't so keen on, and I'm going to be really keen on the half that Josh thought was a bit meh. Mm. Well, quite possibly, yes. I think that may be a, a, a proper summation, if a little spoilery. Now, I think that's it. I think we're done. We are done. I think we're actually done. We've done an episode. We've, we've um, shilled the patron episode. Oh, I suppose I should say, if you want to listen to the patron episode and you're not currently a patron, then just go to patreon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and sign yourself up, you mad crazy fool. 
Um, if you are a patron, you of course have our eternal love and gratitude. Uh, if you're not a patron and you don't want to be in, well, that's fine. You're one of our listeners as well, and we like you just fine, just the way you are. Just the way um, you are. Ah, uh, Billy Joel, what a madman. No Nicholas Cage, uh, though. No, no Nicholas. <laughs> Is anyone Nicholas Cage? Could anyone? Be Nicolas Cage, other than Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is the most Nicolas Cagey Nicolas Cage that's ever Nicolas Caged. Mm. Mm. No, so I think we better we better leave it there before we destroy our minds, just like Arbiad in that episode of Community when he tried to understand Nicolas Cage, and bring things to a halt in the traditional way with me saying goodbye and me saying Nicholas Uncaged. The Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy is Josh Anderson and me, Dr. MRX Dentith. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, it's just a step to the left.